Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is another edition of putting a grade on it. And today we're going to talk about the NBA, but this time we're going to talk about second-year players. So Jalen and I chose four players each from the 2019 draft class, and we're going to put a grade on them. Jalen, who is the first player that you're going to talk about from the 2019 draft class, and what grade are you giving them? So, man, I got to start out strong. For anybody who can't see video, repping the homie John Morant today in year two, and he's balling out so far this year. I mean, I know this is one of those obvious picks along with Zion Williamson if you wanted to talk about somebody in their second season, but John Morant is, like, legit I mean he's a legit point guard in the Western Conference which is a very tough ask for anybody considering the kind of talent across the board at the guard standpoint I mean obviously when you look at the a Western Conference all-stars already you had guys like Damian Lillard Stephen Curry Luka Doncic who's a guy who's not that much further along in his career than John Morant is I mean the the deck is stacked there's even guys who are not in this game like CJ McCollum and Drew Holiday, who could give a lot of guards a run for their money in the Western Conference. And yet John Morant is one of those guys who you could argue is already a top 10 point guard in in one of the toughest conferences um, in the NBA out of the two um, and has been tougher, you know, over the last stretch of the like last, what, five years. So I think that that's huge. Uh, when you look at John Morant's season, he started out with this 44-point game with nine assists and a loss to the Spurs. And even though they lost, it almost, like for me personally, it gave me this kind of outlook of uh, or this type of perception of John Morant's season projected forward that, like, things were going to be a little different. Like, last season, you could tell that he was in a full-blown facilitation mode. You could tell he was just trying to be the little engine that could make the, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies go. This year, I mean, the dude is in full-blown attack mode as a guy who's trying to be a legitimate scoring option. The dude has seven double-doubles on the season. He followed that 44-point game with a 28-point game. He went down with a little bit of an ankle injury three games in, and it forced him to miss eight games early on, and I think that hurt the um, hurt the uh, the little bit of a spark run that I thought could have took place early in the year for Memphis. But the dude is back like he's never left, and he's had some really good games. His last two games have both been 35-point outings. And, I mean, the dude is playing out of his mind right now. And, I mean, if we look forward at what uh, Memphis is doing so far with um, John Morant, I mean, let's factor it in like this. I mean, they're pretty much right there in contention. I think they're like around like 10th right now in the Western Conference, which considering the way the season is going with the way they had the play-in game taking place, they're right there in the mix for the playoffs again. John Morant had them in the playoff hunt last year, basically had the eight seed locked up before the bubble happened. So if you can't tell, my grade is obviously an A+, because the dude has basically helped Memphis overachieve the last two years 
I mean, Memphis could maybe be a little bit better this season, but they've been they've been dealing with some injuries. He's been doing all of this without Jaron Jackson. So, I mean, when you look at the way that they're going right now and the fact that they're still in the mix in the Western Conference playoffs, I, I know it's early in the season, but there's teams like this that are relatively young that could easily be out of the mix early, and they're right there in the thick of it. John Morant's turning out to be one of the top point guards in the league today. And I think his, his impact, Jalen, I know you like to mention the winning impact, how, how much of an effect he has on the winning side. He has everything to do with whether or not that this team wins and loses. John Morant's the, the engine that makes this team go. And considering that John Morant actually had a chance to become an all-star this year, even had a chance to become an all-star last year, I feel like the, the sky's the limit for John Morant. The player that I'm going to talk about first is the third overall pick in the 2019 NBA draft. I'm going to talk about R.J. Barrett from the New York Knicks. The grade I'm giving him is an A. In his rookie year, he averaged 14 points, 5 rebounds, and 2.6 assists. He shot 40% from the field, 32% from three. This year, he's averaging 16.5 points a game, 6 rebounds, and close to 3 assists. He's shooting 44% from the field, 35% from three. He's having a good start to the month of March. In the, losses, in the loss to San Antonio, he put up 15 points on five of nine shooting from the field and one of two shooting from three. In the win over Detroit, he put up 21 points, four rebounds, and five assists on nine of 13 shooting from the field and one of two shooting from three. I think RJ Barrett is becoming the franchise player that Knicks fans are hoping that he will be. I also thought he had the opportunity to become an all-star this year as well. And he's on a Knicks team that no one expected, not even us, Jalen, to be this good. And they have a chance to make the playoffs for the first time since the 2012-2013 season. So I think it's just more about, you know, whether or not this team makes the playoffs. I think RJ Barrett's going to be the guy that I'm really intrigued to see if he will step up, if the Knicks make the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, the Knicks are definitely overachieving right now. I mean, first in opponents' points per game, second in defensive rating overall in the league. They're fifth in the East. Like, all things I didn't think that we would end up saying about the New York Knicks this year, like literally all in a straight line, things that I just don't think anybody was anticipating for the season. Now, I will give a little bit of pushback about that grade in terms of R.J. Barrett, in terms of giving him an A, only because of the fact that he had a very slow start to his career. Now, I'm not saying that every top flight rookie has to come out gangbusters. Zion barely played last year. Granted, when he did play, you know, he was a bit of a problem. Same thing with John Morant to a certain extent as well. R.J. Barrett had one of the quietest seasons for a top three pick that I think we've seen in recent memory. Um, I think you could say that James Wiseman is on a similar uh, arc right now this season, but he's also been in and out of the lineup. So there's a little bit more of an understanding there. He also is in a unique situation because he's on a team that has championship aspirations typically or at least a championship culture the New York Knicks are a team that's looking for some kind of consistency I would say the other thing is too that when you talk about you know top flight rookies look at guys like Zion or you look at guys like John Morant or even look prior and maybe look at a guy like Jason Tatum you look at them as legitimate guys who are going to be considered as the face of your franchise moving forward and I'm not saying that RJ Barrett isn't 
that guy, but he's not even the best player on his team right now. We both know that as Julius Randle, who did make the all-star game today. You can also argue that as a unit, you can go look down the line and RJ Barrett falls in line with a good handful of the guys who are giving them pretty significant production across the board. I mean, you we obviously know RJ is their second best player, so to speak, overall. But D. Rose, who they brought back, has been giving them really good minutes. Alfred Payton has been giving them really good minutes. Emmanuel quickly off the bench, a guy that we've talked about a couple of times on the podcast, is another guy who's been giving them really good minutes. I mean, they're getting about 36 to 38 points per game just by, just between the combination of those three guys alone. So, I mean... I would give RJ more of a B just because of the fact that it's more of a overall team effort that's really put New York on the map. RJ also hasn't necessarily improved that much. Like he's improved by two points in terms of points per game. If we're talking about how he's doing in the rebounding department, I mean, not really that different. He's only got one extra rebound, just 0.3 more assists. He's shooting a lot better from the free throw line, and that should definitely be something worth praising him for. And he's only improved by about 3% from the three-point line. One of his biggest knocks coming out of college was the fact that he wasn't a long-distance shooter. He's still – he's a lot more consistent, but he's still not much of a long-range threat from behind the arc. So I think RJ has the chance to be a A, A A-plus level player for New York. I think especially if we get to see him on a big stage in the playoffs, that'll tell us a lot about who he can be moving forward. But considering the circumstances, I would have to put him more around a B. But RJ, man, I think RJ is going to be special. We've talked about him a handful of times on the podcast as somebody who could have been in the most improved player race at some point. Um, I don't know if that's this year, considering his own teammate has taken a pretty decent jump himself, but R.J. Barrett is doing a lot better in, in uh, season two. So I, I see where you're coming from, and I do think that my grade was based more to the future of what I think R.J. Barrett is going to end up like. I would say that when you're, when you're giving him a B, if we had this list a couple of years ago when Jalen Brown was a sophomore, we would probably say the same thing about him, where – he had a quiet year to start. Nobody really was talking about him. I think he was only averaging six points a game in his rookie year. I think that it's kind of the same. Even though it, it felt like R.J. Barrett had a quiet year his first year, he is getting overshadowed by his teammate Julius Randle. But I feel like he's going to have that trajectory of a Jalen Brown type of player. I think Jalen Brown, you see how he's playing four years into the league. He just became an all-star this year. He stepped up for his team big time when guys like Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker were injured. He was the guy that was carrying this team to wins in a conference that Boston should easily be a top three team in. But I think R.J. Barrett will probably have a similar trajectory to Jalen Brown. Can't argue with it. I think he's going to be a really good player. So projecting future-wise, if the A has to do with the future, it's hard to argue with it. He looks like he's going to develop. If he can continue to tick that three-point shot up and get somewhere around 36 to 37%, he's going to be dangerous at the small forward position. He's already playing a little point guard for them too, which is interesting. So moving on now to our next player in the put a grade on it sophomore edition series. Jalen, who is the second player that you're going to talk about from the 2019 draft class 
and what grade do you give them? Yeah, so not as flashy of a pick as the top two pick, uh, top three picks uh, that we picked from considering we had the second overall guy and the third overall guy as our guys to be at the head of the snake on this one. I got to go down to Darius Baisley at 23 for the Oklahoma City Thunder. And it's weird. I'm going to put this one at about a C plus, around a C plus, B minus in terms of the pick, mainly because I think the value pick of getting a guy at 23 like this, I mean, 6'8", 208 pounds, can legitimately handle the ball. We didn't get to see him in any competition um prior to the draft he was a guy who was initially committed to Syracuse and then kind of pulled out and did like one of these like new balance internship things um very interesting route it's very different from like choosing to go overseas or like the new G League Ignite selections that was taking place um that they did for this season as a new program that they had but still nonetheless may have may have heard his draft stock, but surely didn't take him out of condition of being a first round pick based on the measurables. Um, if you look at the season that he's having so far, 11.9 points per game, 7.5 rebounds, 1.5 assists. Um, he's a legitimate rotational player for them right now. I mean, last season he played 61 games and he only started in nine of them this year. He's played 36 games. And he's a legitimate starter for the OKC Thunder right now. And I think the biggest thing is he's had a couple of games that go to make you think that next to a guy like Shea Gilders Alexander, next to a guy like Lugans Dort, who blew up in the bubble last season in that uh, Houston Rockets series. I mean, Darius Baisley is one of those guys who legitimately is kind of playing himself into being viewed as another one of those building blocks for the Oklahoma City Thunder to potentially lean on. And, you know, they got the chance to get, you know, obviously one top five pick in this upcoming draft that is loaded, by the way, but potentially two. So if you think about it overall, we could be looking at a team that could have Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Darius Baisley, Lucas Dort, Cade Cunningham, (laughs) Jonathan Kaminga, Jalen Green, like, this is a team that could be really stacked in like literally a year turnaround. They could go from having Chris Paul, uh, Shea Gillis, Alexander, and pieces. You know, we obviously saw like Danilo Gallinari, for example, and guys like that. We could see a team like that that was a little bit older, a little bit more veteran polished, but still had some young pop from a guy like Shea to a young dynamic team led by athletes like Darius Baisley, Hamadou Diallo is another guy who's still been a very interesting project for them. Darius Baisley is one of those guys that I feel like if he can just improve in this one area, and I know I'm going to be harping on it all day. Uh, He's shooting 41%. um, I mean, he's shooting 29%. Sorry, I was looking at Shay's numbers. (laughs) He's Darius Baisley shooting 29% on 5.2% three-point attempts per game that's the one that really hurts his his overall game I mean he's taking more threes than Shea and shooting about half the percent that Shea is shooting from behind the arc if Darius Baisley can even become a competent shooter he's already a relatively okay defender he's got the build to be a guy who I think I won't say will be an all NBA defender but I think he has the chance to be at least a above average defender in the NBA with his build, especially at six, eight long arms. He's got a little bit of an offensive pop to him. He's not the most athletic guy, 
I think if he can get that three point shot shot just above 33%, somewhere around 35 as a competent shooter, man, I think Darius Baisley could be something dangerous for this team moving forward. I think the interesting thing with Oklahoma City is that when you think about the position of where this team was last year, they had Chris Paul, Danilo Gallinari, Dennis Schroeder, Steven Adams. Now the team is led by younger guys like Shea Gilgis Alexander. Hamadou Diallo, and you mentioned Darius Baisley. I think Darius Baisley is a guy that we expected now that Danilo and Stephen Adams are gone. I think he's going to take that jump that we expected him to take last year. I think this sort of gives him an opportunity to really shine as somebody who could easily be a second or third option on this team. I think when you're pairing him up with Shea Gilgis Alexander and Hamadou Diallo, two other athletic guys, like you mentioned, it gives Baisley the chance to work with other athletic guys. And I think that the ceiling of this trio is very high right now. Is this a playoff team? Maybe it's kind of hard to really see how good this team was compared to last year, considering that they lost four great players last year in Chris Paul, Danilo Gallinari, Steven Adams, Dennis Schroeder, as for Darius Beasley as a player, you mentioned the three-point shooting as his weakness. He improves on that. He's going to be a great player. Literally, literally. He just has to be a middle of the pack shooter. And he's going to be, he's going to be fine. I think when he gets when he gets that three-point shot going, he's going to be good. I think that, you know, if we're pairing him up with Alexei Pokusevsky for the future, that could be an interesting pairing. I think when when we're talking about Moses Brown from the G League as well. I think that could be an interesting pairing. I think if you're playing Baisley, if you're playing a three-big lineup of Baisley, Brown, and Pokusevsky, you're gearing yourself toward the future when your starting five is Shea Giltis-Alexander, Hamadou Diallo, Darius Baisley, Moses Brown, and Alexei Pokusevsky. And I think Darius Baisley is just going to be a part of the success of the future for Oklahoma City. The second player I'm going to talk about is P.J. Washington from the Charlotte Hornets, and I'm giving him a B. 12th pick in the 2019 draft. In his rookie year, averaged 12 points, 5.4 rebounds, 2 assists, shot 45.5% from the field, 37% from three. This year, he's averaging around the same numbers, 12.5 points a game, 6 rebounds, close to 3 assists, shooting 45% from the field, 38.5% from three. He's had a couple of 20-plus point games this season against Toronto and Atlanta, but he closed out the month of February with a 42-point game against Sacramento, and he shot 15 of 22 from the field and 5 of 8 from 3. I think for P.J. Washington, he has proven that he could be a consistent mid-range and perimeter shooter. I think he's also proven that he could be a solid defender, and I think the Hornets found a guy that can play power forward for them for the next 10 years. I think now what it comes down to is how can you help your team make the playoffs? I think that's the question that Jalen and I are going to have for all of our guys. How do you help your team make the playoffs? The Hornets look like they have a chance to make a run in the playoffs, especially with how good Lamella Ball has been playing right now, especially with the consistent scoring from 20-point-a-game scorers like Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier, as well as consistent scoring production coming off the bench from guys like Devontae Graham, and Miles Bridges. I think that PJ Washington's ceiling is very high, but also I feel like if he continues to average 12 and a half points a game, 
is that what he's going to average for the rest of his career? Is 12 and a half points a game the ceiling for PJ Washington? I think if he's able to to boost up those numbers, I think he's going to be he's going to be a top 10 power forward. I would say, you know, if he could boost it up to 20 and 10, I would say 20 and 8, that could be a huge improvement for him. Yeah, I mean, that would be a definitely a huge improvement. A little bit of a tough ask, though, if I got to be honest, when you look at it. I mean, you've got a, a high-volume scorer in the mellow ball who is already ascending as one of the better guards in the in the Eastern Conference, at least, let alone in the league in year one. And, of course, he's attracting a lot of the attention in terms of the young guys they've got. you got Malik Monk coming off the bench, who's been a significant flamethrower and low-key, low-key a closer for this team, dare I say. And then you got a high volume guy like Gordon Hayward as well. Terry Rozier, who's a guy who likes to get his shots up. Obviously, Devontae Graham, who, who'd much rather get 15 assists in a game than 15 points, but nonetheless is going to get his buckets. And Miles Bridges is going to get about 10 points alone just off lob dunks. So I think it's a little rough to ask a guy like PJ to go ahead and be a 20 and 10 or even a 20 and 8 guy. I think if he floats anywhere between 12 and 15 points, and continues to get upticks in his rebounding numbers. I think if he can be like a 15 and seven guy, you're looking at a pretty good power four for a young team that's got a lot of different pieces. We have to remember too who PJ Washington was comped or, or yeah, comped with coming out of that draft class. Like this was a guy who was associated with Al Horford as his projecting in the NBA. That's not a guy who you're looking to be a 20 and 10 power forward who carries your team. I know we had that weird year with Atlanta, but remember that was a five team lineup. Five guys went to the all-star game and for good reasons, because of all their skill sets that they presented making that team a top team in the Eastern conference that year. But legitimately, I mean, let's look across the board. Like you said, he's still averaging about 12 and a half points, but he's got an uptick in rebounds by about one, which is good. He's at 6.3. He's still, you know, he's got a barely an uptick in assists, but just about 2.9. So just under three, the big part where he's really shown up big is 1.1 steals and 1.2 blocks, which is just barely above what he did last season. But still it shows defensive improvement. And I think that's huge alone by itself because when you look at that, right, you look at his consistency on the offensive end while also taking slow strides on the defensive end. That's what you need for a guy who's not going to get a lot of offensive touches. I mean, let's put something else in perspective. Last season, he got 10.2 field goal attempts per game. This season, he's down to 9.8. Now, you would say that's not really that big of a drop. But when you look at the way the ball is being distributed now, they didn't have Gordon Hayward last year. They didn't have LaMelo Ball last year. They had Terry Rozier, but Terry Rozier was basically taking all the shots for this team last season. When you have to spread the ball out the way they have to, which is a good thing for them, mind you, because that means they actually have legitimate talent across the board. When you have that kind of talent, he's not going to get those kind of touches, especially when your main guys are perimeter guys. So, I mean, I think I'm with you that I have to give P.J. Washington about a B. I would even say that he – I would even argue maybe that a B-plus is in order just out of the fact that he's meeting his comp relatively on par. Like, I'm not – again, you know, Al Horford was a one-time All-Star. Like, is that a guy who – is that a guy that, you know, P.J. can become a single-time or a two-time All-Star? Potentially. You know, Al Horford became an all-star in a very interesting year. Does that does that mean that P.J. Washington, with the right kind of season, could ascend into that level? 
potentially. But even if he doesn't, I thought again, I mean, I think even I mean, I'm not saying setting the bar high for him for 20 and eight is bad. He has the capability of doing it. I mean, the dude shoots the three a lot better than a lot of power forwards in the league, especially young power forwards. He's floating around 40 percent already. And he was shooting nearly the same percentage last year from three on at least four attempts per game, which shows you he's willing to shoot it from out there. So, I mean, 20 and eight is realistic for him, but I don't think we can undermine it if he was just a 15 and seven guy for a really good Charlotte Hornets team that's young and up and coming. The reason why I said 20 and 10 or 20 and eight is because I think that's the ceiling for him. I think that if he, if he's able to be a 20 and 10 guy, by his seventh year, much like Julius Randle, he could become an all-star. I don't think it's going to be an instant jump from 12 and 6 to 20 and 10 or 20 and 8. When you have a guy in PJ Washington who's shooting the who's shooting 45% from the field and 38 and a half percent from three, that's impressive for a guy who is 6'10 on a team that's filled with high volume scores like Lamelo, Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier. It's hard to have a 20 and 10 game where you have a lot of high volume scorers on your team. But I feel like PJ Washington by his fifth, sixth or seventh year is going to have a breakout year where he's going to make the all-star team. I think this year, 12 and a half and six, that's fine. I think next year could be 14 and seven. The year after could be 15 and seven or 15 and seven and a, 15 and seven and a half. I think by his fifth year, he could range around 18, 19, 20 points a game. The sixth year, I think he gets 20 points a game. And the seventh year, I think he gets 20 points a game. He could become an all-star by his fifth, sixth, or seventh year. That's really the ceiling for him as a potential 20 and 10 guy that could become an all-star by his sixth or seventh year. Yeah, I like PJ. PJ was a guy who came out really strong with a couple of really, really high-level three-point shooting uh, games last season. And his you know, had a couple of bursts so far this year as well. He's a guy that you can't sleep on from out there. He's a guy who has a little bit of presence on the inside as a rim defender as well. Like, there's a lot of upside to, to PJ. And like I said beforehand, he was projected to be an Al Horford type player. I'll tell you this right now. If I had to look back at the circumstances and compare PJ Washington to a guy, PJ Washington to a guy like Wendell Carter Jr., who is a part of my Bulls, uh, my Bulls team. I would take P.J. Washington in a heartbeat, and I love Wendell as a two-way player. And he's another guy who was somewhat compared to an Al Horford as well. But P.J. Washington is doing it a little bit better and doing it a lot sooner. So, I mean, the sky is the limit for the dude, but I think on a, on a team with so many guys that can create for themselves and sh- shoot the heck out of the ball, P.J. Washington is right on par with where he should be around this time of the season, and he might even be playing better than that, considering that he's hitting his comp right on the head. So moving on now to our third player from the 2019 draft class that that we're going to put a grade on. Jalen, who is the third player from the 2019 draft class that you're going to put a grade on? So this one's kind of interesting because of the fact that he's not a guy that, like, he's not, in terms of the stat sheet stuff, he's not going to, like, pop out to you but if you watch him if you watch him play if you listen to people who really pay attention to the Brooklyn Nets you will understand that Nicholas Claxton out of Georgia is going to be a problem like he is going to be a guy who is going to be really dangerous moving forward and if there's any indication of what it is 
basketball reference has his nickname as the Slim Reaper. Now, that is the same nickname as his other 6'11", 200-plus pound teammate in Kevin Durant. Now, nobody is saying that he will be Kevin Durant. I don't necessarily know if that's the kind of ceiling that he has. But man, does this have does this guy have the ability to play make in a way that should make you feel really good about what his future is like? I mean, he's had 16 points in his last outing in a win against Houston, 17 points in, um, in the game before that against San Antonio. He's a guy who obviously on a playoff caliber team with James Harden and Kyrie Irving, and you can even throw Joe Harris in there. With that kind of rotation, he's going to be a guy that isn't going to get a lot of burn. Obviously, when Kevin Durant comes back, that's even more of a, of a hit to his playing time. But this is a guy who, if his potential is tapped, even if it has, does not happen on this Brooklyn team, I view Nicholas Claxton as a guy similar to Michael Porter Jr. And this is going to be a little bit of a stretch. But I think that they are two guys that in the right situation, if you give them the keys to the car and they just develop, and they just go out and eat, and they put some consistent games together. These are two guys who can easily, easily surmount themselves as a top 10, top 15 player at their position in the next two to three years. Now, there's got to be a certain level of consistency. Obviously, we're talking about a guy in Claxton who's playing on a playoff team with champions on that team. It's kind of rough to get your, get your time in. But whether it's for the Brooklyn Nets or somebody else, I think Nick Claxton is going to be a problem. I mean, like I said beforehand, 6'11", 215 pounds. The dude's 21 years old. He played really well in the G League last season. There was a lot of praise from the organization at the top about the way that he could potentially impact his franchise moving forward. Of course, this was probably, I think, this might have been uh, before you know, they had really, well, this was obviously before they got to see a guy in Kevin Durant on the floor healthy, but still nonetheless, they got him with a steal with the kind of upside that he has. He was a steal practically at the top of the, uh, at the top of the second round as the first pick in the second round with the 31st overall selection. So I think Nick Claxton, I mean, he's averaging 10 points per game, 3.4 rebounds and one assist per game. Like I said, it doesn't pop off the screen, but if you watch the dude play, if you listen to people who actually are in tune with the Brooklyn Nets, Nick Claxton is going to be a problem, whether it's for the Nets or somebody else, because he's got a ton of upside and even more potential than that. The other thing that you didn't mention about Nick Claxton is that he has 1.4 blocks and one steal a game as well. This is another interesting thing, considering that he's getting it done on the defensive side as well. And I think what he's been able to do at Georgia could translate to the NBA. I think you mentioned that within the Brooklyn Nets fan base, many people believe that Nicholas Claxton could be the next big thing. I think there's a possibility he is the next big thing. I think he's getting a lot of playing time because like you mentioned, Kevin Durant's out. I think that he's the future for the big man position in Brooklyn. I think whether or not he's on this, if it's a, uh, if it's a part of the second unit or if he's starting, I think that he's a guy that could be the potential center if they end up moving DeAndre Jordan. I don't think that's a possibility, but if there's a possible move for DeAndre Jordan, I think Nicholas Claxton would be the next guy up to be the center. I think if he gets traded, I think a lot of teams could use a guy like Nicholas Claxton at 6'11", 
there are a lot of possibilities with Nicholas Claxton. I think he also has a lot of upside, like you mentioned, Jalen. This is a guy in Nicholas Claxton right now averaging 10 points a game in five games so far. So he has he has shown flashes of potential. You mentioned the solid games that he put up against Houston and San Antonio, both double-digit games. He had a three-block game against San Antonio going 16-8 and eight against Houston. There's something there. There's something there. So the next player that I am going to talk about, and you mentioned a guy with a lot of playing time. If he gets a lot of playing time, he's going to be a great player. Lucas Samanich for the San Antonio Spurs. I'm going to give him a B. 19th pick in the 2019 NBA draft. And I'm going to look at his time at the G League. In his rookie year, he averaged 15 points, close to eight rebounds and 1.4 assists with the Austin Spurs. He shot 43% from the field, 31% from three. This year, averaging close to 22 points, 11 rebounds, and 2.2 assists with Austin Spurs, shooting 44% from the field and 30% from, or close to 30% from three. He just got called up to the main roster along with Trey Jones. And in one of his first games back, he put up 14 points and seven rebounds on five of seven shooting from the field and three of five shooting from three. Samaj is a player, Jalen, that has the capability of shooting the ball efficiently. And I think that he could also be a solid one-on-one defender with his speed and athleticism. I think this duo of Samanich and Trey Jones is going to be dangerous. And these were two of the best players in the G League. Samanich has proven that he has the capability of having a 20 and 10 game especially considering that he averaged a double-double in his last season in the G League. I think if Samanch's play from the G League carries over into the NBA, Jalen, this is a guy that may be starting for the Spurs sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. And I mean, I think the interesting thing about him is like he reminds me a little bit of like a Vika Zubox for like the Clippers, which is like a really interesting dynamic because – the Clippers really genuinely believe in a guy like a Vicky Zubac. Like they really like him as their guy in the middle so much so that I think that had a lot to do with the fact that they weren't too worried about Montrez Harrell and why they put so much emphasis on the idea of getting a stretch guy like Serge Ibaka to pretty much give Vicky Zubac the kind of space that he needs down low to operate. And he's giving you a lot of interesting games as well. I think something else that we should really touch on when we look at this, we talked about Trey Jones uh, when we did the, you know, we did our uh, G league, you know, players, uh, uh, we were highlights and stuff. We were looking at a couple of guys that we thought had had pretty interesting seasons. And we talked about Trey Jones. We have to remember that Lucas Ominich and Trey Jones didn't even play 10 games in the G league. That's how much they and they got called up to a Spurs roster that's right there in the middle of the basically the thick of it in the Western Conference playoff hunt. You remember that? I mean, if, if you don't remember or if anybody's not looking at the standings, they're sixth right now when we're recording this. They're a legitimate playoff team with young guys across the board, and they just brought two more young guys in pretty quickly. I mean. It's, I think that's something really interesting to look at. And I mean, another thing, too, is if you look at the big man combination they had down there, Robert Woodard is another guy who I think that um, the Austin Spurs might end up sending um, up to San Antonio soon. That dude has 16.8 points and 11 rebounds himself. So 
that big man duo of Water and Salmonage were like just a thoroughbred problem in the G League. And what's so crazy to me is this team had like seven or eight guys averaging double figures, and they were only eighth out of 18 teams in points per game. How that math works is beyond me. I'm still trying to get my head wrapped around it to this day, but they were also fifth in opponents' points per game. So shoot, whether they were shooting the heck out of the ball or not, they sure were strapping up on the other side of the ball. And I mean, you can argue that Salmonich had a lot to do with that as well. I mean, wasn't much of a force in the blocks and steals category, but his mere presence down low is something I think is really important to touch on. So, I mean, a 6'10", nearly 230 pounds, as a guy who might be able to be a rotational big, especially with the fact that the Spurs aren't getting a lot of playing time from LaMarcus Aldridge, I think that Salmonich in like the next year or two, he could be that kind. He could be that guy for them. And I think that could be really interesting moving forward because they would finally be able to get some really quality big man play, something that they haven't been able to get for a minute. I'm hoping that Lucas Salmonich is not Tiago splitter for this team. And he's a little bit more something, a little bit. Little bit on the uh, on the on the heavier side as a guy who can really produce for them. When we're thinking about the future, I'm gonna get into this a little more when I talk about my next player. The future is now in San Antonio. And I think that when you're when you're thinking about where they're at right now with DeMar DeRozan as the lead veteran guy, there's a lot of young guys on this team that I feel like can really help put together a run for the playoffs. I think if Robert Woodard, that's another guy that you mentioned, Robert Woodard playing up a double-double in the G League as well, or averaging a double-double in the league or in the uh, G League as well. If we pair Woodard and Samanich up, like they were paired up in the G League and their play translates to the NBA, that is another big man duo that could be dangerous for the league. And I think I mentioned Trey Jones as well. I, I mentioned Trey Jones in the last episode when we were talking about rookies from the 2020 draft class. Trey Jones is a guy that could provide a lot of defensive help for the San Antonio Spurs, considering that they, they have two offensive-minded guys in the backcourt right now and Derek Way and Deontay Murray. And credit Derek Way and Deontay Murray. They are one of the more underrated backcourts in the entire league, but I think the one thing that could really help this team out is just more defensive help. I mean, Robert Woodard is another guy, one of the better defenders coming out of the draft class. Trey Jones was one of the better defensive point guards coming out of the draft. I would say him along with Ashton Higgins as well out of Kentucky. I think those those were two of the better defensive-minded point guards. This is a team that has a lot of potential. And when we think about how they missed the playoffs last year, this seems like the time for them to bring up some new guys like Luka Simonich, Trey Jones, and Robert Woodard and see how much of an effect these guys have on a possible playoff run for the Spurs. Yeah, and I think that's really interesting that you touch on the defensive aspect of it because, you know, DeJounte Murray was a guy who was like an all-NBA caliber defender like two seasons ago. We just got to remember that he's still coming off of injury and still trying to get himself together. But he's an elite-level defender on that side of the ball as well. But if you pair 
that kind of guy like uh, like a guy like Trey Jones, who's a lot more of a facilitator, because like you said, DeJounte Murray can put the ball in the basket. That's something that he does do at a very high level or at least a above average level. I think that that's something to really take into consideration as well. I also think from a defensive standpoint, even if they don't play next to each other, you never lose that defensive acumen at the point guard position if you have a guy like Trey Jones coming up behind them. In terms of Lucas Samanich, I think that it's really interesting what you think he can do. But instead of going straight to my next player, I know that we're going to end up staying on the San Antonio Spurs because your next player is another guy who you felt like is one of those big building blocks. So share that with them and like, let's just go ahead and stick with the Spurs and, you know, continue to kind of build on what we think they're going to do for the rest of the season. With my last pick, I am sticking with the San Antonio Spurs, like Jalen said, I'm going with Keldon Johnson. The grade I'm giving him is a B minus. His rookie year, he averaged nine points a game, 3.4 rebounds, less than an assist a game. He shot 59% from the field and from three. This year, he's averaging 14 points a game, 6.7 rebounds, and 2.2 assists, shooting 47% from the field, 32% from three, improving in points, rebounds, and assists. Five double-doubles for Kelvin Johnson this year, 14-11 and 11 early in the season against the Pelicans. 26 and 10 against the Lakers, 17 and 14 against the Mavericks, 18 and 10 against the Celtics, 25 and 10 against Memphis. He also had a 29-point game against Houston back in January. And Keldon Johnson, I kind of hinted at this earlier. Keldon Johnson is part of this new young core for the Spurs. It's Keldon Johnson, Derek White, Deontay Murray, Lucas Samanich, Trey Jones, Lonnie Walker, Devin Vassell. I would also say Robert Woodard as well. These guys are the future for the Spurs. And like I said, the future is now in San Antonio. Like I mentioned in the last episode, it seemed like after the Spurs, it seemed like after the Spurs' first season missing the playoffs last year, it felt like they were going to rebuild. And I don't think that's the case. I don't think the Spurs were ever thinking about rebuild. I don't think the word rebuild is in their dictionary. (laughs) The Spurs are building a team, Jalen, not only poised for a championship run, they're poised for a dynasty. Keldon Johnson is one of those players that I feel like will be a huge part of it. And I feel like the role, I, I feel like his role in the offense will increase if, it, if his play continues to improve this year. Yeah, and I think that's the interesting thing about it. I mean, I definitely see them becoming or returning back to being a perennial playoff team. Uh, a championship run is interesting just because of the, tra- the trajectory of the league. That's one of those things that, you know, as long as guys like Kevin Durant are still around, guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kawhi Leonard, Joel Embiid across the board, they don't have a player of that caliber on their team yet. But the reason why I found it really interesting that you picked these two guys back to back is because honestly, especially coming out of the same, you know, you know, basically the same draft space. I mean, we're talking about 19 and then I believe Keldon Johnson was like what I think like 29th, I believe. So with that being the case, these are not lottery level guys. And yet, with the circumstances of how they're playing so far um, in their careers, I mean, both coming out of the same draft class, I have to kind of pair those picks together. And as a grouping, I have to give the I have to give the picks a, a B plus because I think the biggest thing about it is that 
like you said before, and I found it really interesting that you said that this is a team that you thought maybe was going to rebuild and instead they kind of came out and like retooled, which is kind of an interesting way to look at it. They got Point DeMar going crazy right now as a guy who's basically been playing the one through four for them while averaging nearly double digit assists. I mean, he's averaging about 7.2 assists or something like that right now on top of 20 points per game. And the guy barely takes threes. Like he's killing it out there while just being a mid-range player and being a facilitator who's taking the defensive assignments guarding the one through four for them. And then they've got a a crazy amount of athletes on their team. Like, like we mentioned before, and obviously DeJounte Murray, Keldon Johnson is a guy who can literally jump out the gym. We've seen Lonnie Walker practically jump out the gym already a couple of times as it is. So they've got a lot of stuff to be able to build on. And I just find it really interesting how well these Western conference teams go from being a contender to a retooling team that's right back in the mix. I think you can say the same thing about Oklahoma City, who we talked about a little bit earlier with guys like Lucas Dort, Shea Gilgis Alexander, and a whole bunch of picks that could potentially give them two top five guys in a draft class this year that pretty much is a top five race. Like after the top five, it's pretty much a toss up as to who will go. And they've got a chance at two of those top five guys. We were talking about Moses Brown earlier. I mean, I understand that Moses Brown is great in the G League and definitely would be a significant call-up, but you can get a guy like Evan Mobley in the draft as well. And he's a guy that's being compared to Anthony Davis, for all we know. I mean, I don't know if his projection is similar to that, but that's the kind of area that he's going. You look at a team like Memphis, who moved away from the grit and grind era of Mike Conley, Zach Randolph, Tony Allen, Mark Gasol. Now they've got this jump out of the gym squad with guys like Jaron Jackson Jr., John Morant. Hopefully Justice Winslow gets healthy. I mean, you look at the kind of team that they've got. I mean, you can even point out guys like Grayson Allen and Brandon Clark. It's just really interesting to see how these teams, along with San Antonio in the Western Conference, are teams that continue to keep themselves in the mix even in a down year. I think that's just one of the most interesting things about the Western Conference that makes it one of those one of those conferences in sports overall that just is unmasked in a certain way because it just seems to never be a down year for them. Jalen, who is your last player that you're going to put a grade on? So I couldn't let you be the only one on the podcast who brought up somebody who was performing extremely well in the G League. And with that being the case, I have to talk about Kevin Porter Jr., man. I understand he's got a really, really tough rap going on so far in his early stages of his career. He had a very um, unsettling, to say the least, fallout with the Cleveland Cavaliers before being moved to Houston and now is playing as part of the Rio Grande Valley Vipers uh, down there in the G League. But, I mean, this dude is ridiculous. I mean, I watched a clip on Instagram the other day where there were literally side-by-side comparison highlights of him and James Harden, and it was scary. It was scary how dead-on accurate, how very similar their play styles are, how much you can tell that he takes after James Harden's game. And that is something that Houston should feel really good about because they're a team that's rekindling themselves. They're they're trying to retool. They're a team that I can definitely see maybe trying to move a guy like Victor Oladipo potentially who hasn't really played very well for them as as of late. A guy in John Wall who I think is going to be a hard uh, contract to move, but it's still going to be a guy who might 
you know, garner some attention as we get further and further along his contract. We know that a guy in Boogie Cousins is potentially going to be moved. They've already set him down in pursuit of being able to maybe find a spot for him. And then P.J. Tucker is another dude who could potentially be on the move, who's been associated with a lot of different playoff teams. So if you put a guy like Kevin Porter Jr. in the backcourt, along with a with a, pit, with a pick and roll partner, partner like Christian Wood, who's going to be coming back from injury soon. I mean, Houston's got a decent amount of draft capital after making that trade that sent James Harden to Brooklyn. Kevin Porter Jr. is averaging 24.3 points per game, 7.1 assists, 5.2 rebounds, 1.6 steals. Like, I mean, the dude is also shooting pretty okay from three, 31.9% on nine on nearly nine attempts and 44.5% from the floor overall on just under 20 shots per game. This guy is a definition of a high volume scorer. I mean, it's crazy to think that Houston would have the, the next potential coming of James Harden fall in their lap after a debacle in Cleveland uh, regarding Kevin Porter Jr. and, you know, his conduct on the team. But if this guy can just get it right up here in the mental, we know that he's a certified basketball player. He's a certified hooper. And I think that he got taken really low out of USC due to conduct issues and things related to where his mental state is as a guy who can be a legitimate team player. If he can get that right, dude, I mean, this man, he's just built different. There's At some point, at some point, maybe even next week, we're probably going to go through and talk about some G League All-Stars. Kevin Porter Jr. is definitely at the top of that list, bro. He is right there along with Paul Reed, who I talked about on our, um, you know, on our rookie breakdown. Moses Brown is another guy who comes to mind. You know, I got to talk about my guy, Miles Powell, but... Kevin Porter Jr. might be one of the best guards coming up out of there. So, man, crazy what this guy might look like moving forward. It's just interesting when you think about the Rio Grande Vipers, the G League affiliate for the Houston Rockets, it's almost like that entire team could be moved up to the main roster because there is some real talent on that Rio Grande Vipers team. You mentioned Kevin Porter Jr., I would also say this for Kenyon Martin as well. I think with Kevin Porter Jr., he showed a lot of flashes in the NBA that I feel like he can be the next James Harden. I think that it's going to be very interesting to see what type of playing time he gets considering that Victor Oladipo is the start, is the starting shooting guard for that team. Do you move Victor Oladipo in the trade deadline to make room for the future? I mean, I would also say, I, I guess that's kind of a situation with DeMarcus Cousins because I think Kenyon Martin Jr. could be the guy that starts at, at center for them. I think that that's going to be an interesting thing to think about in Houston. I think Kevin Porter Jr. is the real deal, Jalen. I think that there's there is nothing stopping him from being the main guy in Houston. There's there's nothing stopping him from having a James Harden level impact in Houston. I think that the fact that he's playing this well in the G League, it's another case where. I kind of have to wonder what his play is going to be like in the NBA. Will it translate? I think that's just some of the main concerns I have with some of the G League guys that are performing very well is that how are they going to translate to the NBA? 
I mean, I think Kevin Porter Jr., I think that transition to the NBA could be easier than we think because if this guy's going to keep playing like this, he could be having a 60-point game before we know it. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, out of all the guys that we discussed, we discussed eight guys to go back and recap for anybody. Um, We discussed John Morant, Darius Baisley, um, Kevin Porter Jr., uh, um, obviously, who we just finished up talking about, Nicholas Claxton, R.J. Barrett, P.J. Washington, Luka Samanich, and Keldon Johnson. I think that in that list, Kevin Porter Jr. is probably a top three player in that list in terms of being a, a franchise swing player at the NBA level. Obviously, I think John Moran is at the top of that list just because he's the guy that has already put his imprint on the Memphis Grizzlies as a franchise, and it's already showed him that they showed them that he has the potential to lead them to the playoffs. I think Kevin Porter Jr. is right there behind him in terms of if his game translates from the G League to the NBA, he's a guy who could instantly help Houston maybe not be a legitimate playoff team right out the gate next season, maybe the way, you know, San Antonio is bouncing back right now. But he's a guy, along with Christian Wood, that could be legitimate pillars for Houston in terms of getting them back on the right track, in terms of being a at least a competing team in the Western Conference. And then, of course, I think the third guy after that is Nicholas Claxton. Anybody whose nickname is the Slim Reaper like KD's is a guy who's got to have crazy high upside. And the fact that he's 6'11 with a lot of offensive repertoire that I still don't think we've even got to see from him so far this season or so far in his career in these short two years that we've seen him, I think that they're, I think that those three guys are extremely dangerous and they are swing players in the NBA if they reach what we think their full potential is. Because I still think that they all have a little bit left. They, they all have a little bit to show us in, in Kevin Porter Jr. and Nicholas Claxton's case. They might even have a lot more to show us than what they've already done so far. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, which player from the 2019 draft class has impressed you the most? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you've rated our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.